Greetings, Gatehouse Insiders. We are back with another episode of Gatehouse Insights, and today I'm joined by Penny, who is a happiness hacker. Penny will dive deeper into the topics of how we redefine success, how happiness brings success, the benefits of having a hobby, her concept of unlearning, and much, much more. Make sure you subscribe to the Gatehouse League Recruitment YouTube channel where you can see more. Well, good morning, Penny. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Louise. So you are a happiness hacker. Tell us more about this and what led you down this path of becoming a happiness hacker. Yeah. Um, So I'm a happiness hacker, which basically I made up. Um, And I made it up off the back of, um, I suppose, a, a moment in time that changed my life. So Um, At the age of 39, I found myself um, having ticked a whole lot of boxes that I was told that if I ticked them, I would magically arrive at this place called happiness. So um, I had been climbing the corporate ladder for years and chasing sort of the societal definition of success. And then, um, as I said, at 39, I was sitting there, you know, with everything I could possibly have wanted. um, And I was feeling unfulfilled. And I was like, how can there be this disconnect? So um, when I started to question that and ask myself, what does happiness truly look like for me? I realised that for me, happiness was found in human connection, positively impacting the lives of others, um, being present and in a moment and sharing experiences. And consistently, those were the things that were sidelined by my pursuit of happiness and my busyness. Mm -hmm. So I did something crazy um, off the back of that insight. I turned my whole life upside down in pursuit of happiness, which meant that I left a 16-year career as a senior executive in a global giant at the top of my game. I relocated my family from Perth back to Melbourne because I was working over there amidst the oil and gas boom. I left an 18-year relationship and started my own purpose-driven company all within seven months, hackinghappy.co. And that was kind of the beginning. And I was kind of, you know, on this mission um, at that point with no idea of what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to hack happiness. I wanted to work out what that looked like for me and how I injected more of it into each day and equally how I could teach others to work out what happiness looks like for them on their own terms. And, yeah, that was the beginning. It's awesome. At what point did you realise you thought, I've got to turn everything upside down, this is just not for me? Yeah, it's really interesting because I talk a lot about the fact that Happiness is found at the intersection of what you long for but avoid, which is really interesting, I think, and it took me a long time to come to that insight. So what um, happened was I was longing for change and um, I'd been longing for it for about three years. And this is a consistent theme I see in so many people that I work with where the time from when they start to think about the significant change they want to make in their career, their life, their relationships, um, from when they actually take the first action is generally around three years if they ever do act at all. Some people just sit with belonging forever. Yeah. And so um, I, uh, I kind of, it wasn't like a light bulb moment. It was more like a dimmer that gradually turned up over those three years. And then it just got to the point where I was 
consistently exhausted. Um, I was consistently burnt out. Um, I was consistently longing. And I was just like, I can't, I can't bear the thought of what this is going to do to me if I'm still in this place in 12 months time. I don't even, I, I didn't even recognise who I was anymore. And I know so many people can relate to this because I have this conversation with so many people longing to make change. And um, it, it wasn't, like I said, it was kind of, it was a gradual process. But then what happened was the first thing was that I left the corporate the job and then it kind of just snowballed from there. I think what happens is once you make one significant change in your life and you're courageous enough to do that, you sort of sit there and go, well, what else? Like what else can I do? Because I think what you realise is that you sit so long fearing what could be the uncertainty and when you step into it, even though it's uncertain, nine times out of ten, the things that you fear are never as bad as what you think they could be. More often than not, they present opportunities that you never imagined possible and they also highlight potential that you didn't even know you had. Now, you speak about, like in your book, you, you have a saying, happiness brings success, and I, I love this um, saying. Yes. And Many years ago, um, I was 20, I was working at CBA as a teller, and I, I didn't really like that role. It was all based on K- KPIs and targets. And the manager said, Louise, you need to start, you know, basically getting your targets up and your KPIs and things like that. He goes, because success is going to make you happy. <laughs> I just looked oh. at him and I thought... No, I think it's happiness brings success. But could you share a little bit about this? Because you do talk about it in your book um, and it is quite a powerful uh, statement. Yeah, so I think, you know, if I go back to the story earlier, you know, that those, those boxes I was ticking, I had been raised to believe, and I think so many of us are, are raised to believe that success will make us happy. So we're kind of set on this path of, you know, if you go and you, you know, you do, you go to university, you you finish year 12, you go to university, you get a good job and you climb, climb, climb and you make money or you start your own business and you become a successful entrepreneur, this success, right, success will equal happiness. And what I realised in my journey was that I actually think we have the equation back to front. I actually think that if we focus on the things that make us happy, and we bring more of those into each day through the way that we show up, through our behaviours, um, through the mindset, through intention and consciously being in moments, that is where the happiness is found. Success is a byproduct of living a happy life, yeah. Um, that was kind of, well, that was the epiphany that I had and that's what I talk about a lot. It's the equation, what we are sold is actually incorrect. Success doesn't equal happiness. Focusing on happiness equals success. Yeah. We are sold this picture of what success looks like and it's um, it's interesting. But, you know, from speaking to people um, over the last three months during COVID, people's mindsets are shifting and they are starting to actually question and unpack this what success looks like for them. How do we as individuals redefine success because there is that thing or there's that there's the fear that's kind of preventing people to redefine what success looks for. But yeah, how do we redef- redefine success? What do we need to do? 
So I think the first thing I would say, what I realised is that success more often than not is very externally focused. You know, it's like when I have this job, when I have this car, when I can afford this house. Now, all of those things are material things. And equally, success is also attached around how we want others to perceive us. If we're successful, you know, we're admired, we're invited to different things than we perhaps otherwise would have been. So it's very externally focused, whereas happiness and what makes you happy is all internal. It all sits within you. Um, sorry, you'll have to take me back to your question. I've lost my train of thought. How do we redefine success? Yeah. So redefining success. I think I'm a big fan of changing bite-sized pieces and starting with the stuff, you know, that is simple. And so I actually um, would challenge people to rather than focus on success, I would actually focus on happiness. And actually, so to redefine it, I would actually ask yourself, what are the things that are in your life at the moment that make you feel happy? What are the things that make you feel energised? What are the things that make you feel good? Write it down on a piece of paper, that simply, right? And then what I would challenge you to do is say, okay, if these are the things that make me feel energised, if these are the things that make me feel happy, what really simple things can I do to bring more of these things into each day? So rather than sitting there redefining success and saying, you know, well, here's my five-year plan, here's my 10-year plan, this is where I'm heading, I don't think that's the challenge for us. I think the challenge for us is actually saying, how do I show up in the everyday, yeah? What habits and behaviours do I have in the everyday that enable me to live the life that I want to live? So rather than focusing on this long-term, which makes it elusive and sort of in the future, why don't we start doing this now? And, you know, there's, there's a saying I read the other day and it's, it's basically um, the way you show up in every day base, is basically the life you live, right? So whether you realise it or not, um, the habits and the behaviours that you have each day will determine how happy you are and how often that happens. So focus on now. Focus on what tiny things you can do today rather than looking five years down the track and it can be as simple as tiny as time blocking one or two things in each day that make you happy so I time block picking my son up from school with the dog because that makes me happy I time block the first hour of the day at 5 a.m I get up me don't have to get up at 5 a.m but I believe the way you start your day is the way your day unfolds. And so I choose to start my day with intention and to gift myself the start of the day. Um, and that is time blocked every weekday in my diary, you know, and it's time for me to do yoga, to do a little bit of meditation. I journal and process my feelings and I learn something new for 15 minutes every morning. Like that's how simple. But how you show up in every day will determine how, you're, how you show up in life and, and the life that you have. Yeah. Because we are sold that picture of, you know, once we have everything, we're going to be happy. And I often hear people say, um, you know, when I get that, when I finish uni, I'll be happy. When I get my first job, I'll be happy. When I get that promotion, I'll be happy. How did we get into this cycle as society as, you know, when we get the next thing that's going to make us happy? 
do you do you know how we got trapped into that cycle so I would conclude that it, a lot of it comes back to it's like competing and you know it's this idea of comparing ourselves I think that we're so caught up in watching each other and wanting to kind of you know be belong this idea of belonging and and be part of something I think that's what it comes back to you know we we um we're very externally focused and, and and that in itself is problematic because part of the reason so many of us feel like we're constantly operating in survival mode constantly anxious and overwhelmed is because we've become so good at not connecting in with how we feel yeah and and processing feelings both good and bad because we're so focused on being busy, on being productive, on getting ahead, on acquiring all of this stuff. But I firmly believe that this focus on productivity, yeah, and trying to squeeze um, as much as you can into every waking moment, it's become our disease. There is no space anymore to be, and we are human beings. There's no space to reflect. There's no space to experiment, to think. And these are all the things that not only energize us and excite us, these are the things that make us happy and that recharge our batteries, but also recharge our brain and allow our brain to do its best work. Yeah. And social media has not helped at all with that, um, seeing what others are doing and trying to compete with them. Yeah, it's interesting though, right? So I think um, yes and no. So I think you could, like everything, you know, it could be good, could be bad. Yeah. It depends on how you look at it. So I think there's huge benefits in social media if you are intentional in the way that you use it. The problem is that most of us are unconscious in how we use it and we just basically fill um, every spare minute we have in our day jumping in and out. Um, so I don't blame the technology. What I'm interested in is rather than looking at what you're distracting yourself with, which is what social media does, right, and it often the stuff that we're distracting ourselves with doesn't make us feel good. Ask yourself, why? What are you like? What are you using that distraction for? What are you avoiding? And it comes back to what we said at the start. Yeah, if happiness is found at the intersection of longing and avoidance, what are you using social media to distract you from? That is where the magic is. That is what we need to get curious about. Because I'll guarantee you, you're trying to distract yourself from feelings that are making you feel uncomfortable. And when you start to lean in and explore those feelings, they're often attached back to opportunities for growth, to opportunities for more happiness. We just resist the hard stuff. It's what it's how we're wired. We need to challenge it. Yeah, we do. And that is the hard stuff, challenging those um, beliefs and those thoughts. From your experience in speaking with people, you have discovered consistent themes where people find happiness and you speak about them in your book. But could you dive deeper into these themes for us? Yeah. And it, this is so funny. I'm a huge fan, I'd, I'd say, of um, imperfect experimentation. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I don't think perfection serves any of us if we want to step into the space of the potential that we have. Um, into growth and you know into happiness and so when I first started out one of the experiments that I was undertaking when I would run workshops with large groups was I had this little activity at the start of um, a session where I just wanted to connect people so I'd ask them to pull out their mobile phones and I would say to them just pull out your mobile phone and find a picture that makes you happy it can be absolutely anything yeah and then just share it with the person next to you and what was 
mind-blowing was that this started as a connection activity and I've now done it with thousands of people all around the world and the same things kept coming up and I was like, oh, my gosh, it was like that light bulb moment, you know, 18 months in, I was like, this is where happiness is found and happiness was found in kind of a couple of key buckets. It was um, human connection. It was sharing experiences. It was achieving sort of personal goals, whether that was running, you know, a triathlon, climbing a mountain, um, animals, nature you know it was like and it all came back to like I was saying at the start the things that I was sidelining it all came back to the basics it all came back to the things that make us human it was about connection to ourselves connection to others and connection to the world around us and the other thing that was beautiful and sad and interesting all at the same time when sort of this became apparent was a game that so many people would say to me that these were the things that were consistently sidelined by their, you know, productivity, their pursuit of success and the level of busy that they had allowed to pervade their lives. That's awesome. Mm. I, I wanted to shift us onto the concept of unlearning because another great point you make in your book, um, but could you explain what unlearning is and how we apply it um, into our search of finding happiness? Yeah. So I think what is interesting is <laughs> the older we get, for some reason, we can convince ourselves that our belief system is fact. Right? And so what happens is we as human beings form um, beliefs based on our experiences, the things that we are exposed to and how we um, allow those to play out in terms of our mindset and how we respond throughout our lives. And then we choose to take those experiences and turn them somehow in our brains into fact. And what's fascinating about that is we are a sample size of one, which statistically represents nothing. Yeah, so just because you believe it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah, and so, so much, and I, you know, this was probably the rudest awakening for me. I thought I was an expert as a, you know, I had quite a lot of success in my corporate career, but what I realised was that I didn't know much at all and often uh, what I thought to be true when I stepped out into the entrepreneurial world, it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about unlearning, unlearning is about questioning, what if I was wrong about that? What if the belief system I held was just not true? And how would I go about proving that? And this plays into one of the key skills that I teach people of curiosity. Yeah, curiosity is the foundation of unlearning. And it's funny because when I ask people, we run curiosity programs, when I ask people um, how curious they are, most people will tell you they're highly curious. But when you actually ask them a series of questions around their behaviours and how they show up in the everyday that would demonstrate that they were highly curious, most people are not curious at all. Curiosity takes time. It slows things down, which doesn't align to this idea of productivity and being busy and getting to success faster. So unlearning is about challenging yourself um, to sort of say constantly, what if I was wrong about that and how would I go about proving it. And that, again, comes back to what we were speaking about is that is where the growth occurs, that is where the discomfort occurs, and that is where you unlock potential and opportunities that you wouldn't have even had your eyes open to before. Yeah. 
Now, I, I love this saying in your book, which is um, we can't control everything, but we can control how we choose to respond. Mm. Can you speak about this? Because this was such an eye-opener for me many, many years ago. Why was it an eye-opener for you? What impact? Uh, I, I, I first learnt it in the book, Your Uranus Zones by Dr. Wayne Dwyer. Yeah. And it was, it, it just really, I suppose, open my eyes, whereas if things happen or someone responds a certain way, you don't know what they're going through or what they're dealing with. And so instead of taking it personally, I thought, okay, well, I can choose not to get upset with, you know, that person that's done something bad or, um, you know, if someone's late or whatever, I can choose how to respond to that. So I can either choose to be really annoyed if someone's late or I can choose to be calm. And it just was just a life changer for me because it's your mindset changes and you just live a much more peaceful and happier life because you can't control what other people do, say, think, but you can control yourself. So that's why it was such an eye-opener for me. No, I love it. I'm just intrigued to understand. I just, like you, you know, I think there was that moment in time where I sat there, I think we spend so much time with good intentions wanting to change everybody else. Yeah. And it's, I would argue, as someone who's worked in change for 20 years with thousands of people and also making change in, you know, global companies, you cannot change other people. They can only change themselves. The only thing that you can change is yourself. Um, That is what is within your control. That is the only thing that is in your control. And so realising that you have a choice every day in whether, you know, in, in how you behave, in how you respond to certain situations, you know, that is powerful. So you can choose to be angry. You can choose to be happy, yeah. But, and I don't care which one you choose, as long as it's intentional and it's conscious. And it can't be intentional and conscious if you're not aware of the fact that the only thing you can truly control is how you respond and how you behave. You know, awareness is the first step to change in anything, awareness. And that little nugget, um, and I think I, know, I think that might be a Tony Robbins thing. I, I know I've heard him say it before, but that little nugget creates that foundation of awareness. And sometimes you will react in a way that you don't want to. I mean, that's how we're wired. That's part of what happens in the brain when the amygdala kicks in. But being aware of it means that, more often than not, the more you practice it, the more you can control how you react, even in moments of crisis or even in uncertainty. Yeah. And it's something that we also teach our team. It's like, okay, um, when dealing with clients, with candidates, with just people, it's okay. They might do things that might not be what you wanted to, but you can choose to react in a positive or a upbeat way so that, you know, one, it doesn't affect you personally and that, you know, that client or candidate keeps coming back to you. So it's something we teach to the team as well because we realise we can't control what other people do. We've just got no no control over that whatsoever. But it's equally another opportunity again for curiosity, right? I think so often we sit there and go, oh, they're crazy, you know, like that, because they're not responding how we would expect them to. But I think one of the things we teach people is how to have curious conversations, how to ask more questions than make statements again or have opinions around what we believe to be true. 
And so one of the, the greatest opportunities we have in life is to practice listening and to ask good questions. Um, and I listened to a podcast recently that was absolutely beautiful by an expert in listening. And he said, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is go into a conversation without an agenda. Yeah, and just listen to the other person or explore where they're coming from. And I was, and he said also listening, I love this, listening is going into a conversation with the willingness to have your mind changed. That is what true listening is. And I think, you know, if we can go into these situations where we're sitting there and things aren't playing out how we want to and we're feeling reactionary, what a beautiful opportunity to ask curious questions and sort of say, well, that's a different perspective from what I'm thinking. Help me understand how you arrived at that. I'm really curious. Like I talk a lot about surrounding ourselves. One of the, again, another powerful thing to do if you want to unlearn and open the door to possibilities to surround yourself with unlike minds. There's so much talk about like minds. I talk about unlike minds, people who challenge you to look at the world through a different lens. Mm -hmm. Again, that is, you know, that is how you shift your perspective. That is how you grow. That is how you learn. These are the people that you should be investing your time in. Yeah, I like it. Unlike minds. I've, not too many people speak about it. It's always about, you know, I'm creating a group or with like-minded people, but you do grow from the people because you all think of the same, the like-minded people. But when you go to unlike, like unlike-minded people, it's it's the growth. Correct. I'm, I'm going to do that more. <laughs> <laughs> it's challenging, right? So when it I went to Shell um, and, you know, I was managing large-scale change across the organisation, when I would develop an idea or a program, the first place I would head would be to the geophysicists and the geoscientists. I mean, Shell was renowned for hiring really smart people, you know, really smart. And I would go to these guys because they were the complete opposite of me, yeah? Most of them were introverted. Most of them were highly analytical, yeah, and data-driven. And the reason I would share my ideas with them is because they would absolutely pull them apart, which would be extremely uncomfortable, but they would help me look at my ideas through a different lens. And the more you share an idea, the more it grows. Yeah, I, I really love it. I'm going to do that from now on. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I want to also talk about hobbies because it's, um, mm. I, I think not too many people have hobbies or, or they don't have time for their hobbies. And what's really interesting over that December, January period, my husband was like, he was like, I'm a, I'm, I've hit a wall. I'm just exhausted. And... One of the things he uncovered during that, he, he realised he didn't have any hobbies. <laughs> and he thought, he, he said to himself, all I'm doing is working and that's it. And it's having an impact. Um, and I've seen the change on, on what hobbies has done to him. But could you share a little bit about that and the importance of hobbies? Because I feel like it's, it's kind of like always pushed off. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, again, this was a light bulb moment um, a few years back. I, um, when I met my, my boyfriend, who I've been with for five years now, I was astounded because he's 10 years younger than me and he had all of these hobbies. And it, it, when I say I was astounded, I met, it was, that was the light bulb moment because I was sitting there going, he, he likes, he has a garage, yeah, and he builds things and he makes things and he's out there all the time tinkering you know this was kind of his hobby 
Um, his other hobby was judo. He loved martial arts um, and did that on a regular basis. And him and his brother were fixing an, up an old 1970s Salika. And that was a project that they did together every Sunday and the whole family would come together. And I was just sitting there going, like, one, the fact that he was like 30, at the time he was like 33, and he had all these hobbies where most young people don't have hobbies, yeah, let alone older people. And I was like, how have you got the time for all of this stuff? And then I started to ask the question, as I often do, again, experimenting in the audiences and the classes that I was running. And I would ask people, who's got a hobby? And people um, would put their hand up and say, oh, yeah, I've got a hobby. And then when I asked them what their hobbies were, their hobbies were um, having coffee or drinking with their friends. Now, that is not a hobby, right? A hobby is often a creative pursuit with no fixed outcome other than the pleasure of doing it and being fully in the moment. And the more I started to look at this, I was like, this is interesting. And then I started to look at the science behind hobbies. And I, it, you know, I write about this in the book. The science shows that people that have hobbies are likely to be way better problem solvers in their work. They're equally likely to be more refreshed and recharged because um, these pursuits help their brains, yeah, um, connect dots in different ways and also help their brains, you know, say recharge. And I was like, this is fascinating. So hobbies, whilst people think that they take time, yes, they do, but the benefits of hobbies beyond just the pleasure that they bring people extend into every other aspect of your life, as I say, from problem solving, from recharging your brain and equally to making you more effective in your work. And I think what's interesting was, you know, here in Melbourne where you and I are is what happened in lockdown. People started baking bread and, you know, I started um, drawing and, you know, with my son we started drawing classes and we started playing board games and all of these little things it was almost like people started to rediscover because the space had been created, the beauty of the hobby. So I would say if you don't, and like your boyfriend, your husband, you know, he's exhausted. If you don't have a creative pursuit, if you don't have something outside of work, you will fill your time with your work. And that's not healthy and nor is it going to make you happy. No, it's not. And I've seen it now with my husband. Like it's, you know, been a couple of months, but it's the, the shift, it's like he feels more recharged. He's just happier with life. He's more motivated to do his work. Um, he what was the hobby? Oh, he's trying all different things. So um, golf was one thing. Yep. Boogie boarding. Oh, I love boogie boarding. Big fan yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, we started hiking. We, um, My boyfriend's huge nature lover and I am too. I just didn't realise it. And so we go on these crazy 40K hikes over a weekend. Yeah. We carry 12, 15K packs on our back. Like sounds crazy, but... I can't tell you how much joy yeah. it brings. It, and it's just the switch off and the recharge. So it's, um, yeah, I, I've seen the benefits and I highly recommend others if they don't have hobbies to get one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and before we close, I want to talk about your future dreams. What are your future dreams? Of- <laughs> you <have any? laughs> I do. It's so interesting. So, um one of the things that I, um, that, you know, that is, I suppose, a constraint in my life at the moment, I have a beautiful 10-year-old son and um, I have a great ex-husband and uh, because my son's 10, we share him 50-50. We always have since we separated, a very amicable separation. But 
we obviously both live, my, my ex-husband lives like five minutes walk away. Um, and so whilst he's at school, we both live in the same area. But my dream um, is to live by the ocean and the bush. And so I'm sitting here in a holding pattern in, uh, you know, in a beautiful suburb in Melbourne. But at the moment, um, that dream is at the sacrifice of what's in the best interest of my beautiful son. So um, it's funny because I'm about to do my yoga teacher training. That's something I've longed for but avoided. Um, and I have recently in my journaling, I have this future dream, which I know will become a reality. It's just a matter of time where I think what I will do, I'm, I'm, I think I'm actually even going to simplify my life further. Um, I have this dream of basically travelling around Australia, um, hiking and camping uh, with my boyfriend, staying in caravan parks all around Australia and just teaching yoga and sharing um, that lifestyle um, online. That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> So I think I'm just going to like pack up my whole life, my whole, and this is, you know, it's probably six, seven years away when my son's finished uh, his high school. I said to him, you know, I'm not going to be here, but you will always have a room and um, you can come with me if you want. But that's when, um, that's kind of the next, the next evolution of my life, going back to basics. <laughs> basics. Actually, being uh, simplicity does bring you happiness as well. Like it's oh, without a doubt. I do less. I work less hours than I've ever worked, but my hours are way more focused, way more intentional, and I'm way more productive than I have ever been. And my life is really simple. It's I used to go on these glamorous holidays to five star resorts. You know, we've just spent a weekend camping up in Wellhalla in the in Gippsland. Um, I like I love that idea of being connected with nature I love exercise I love just being with people that I love um, and sharing experiences and I've come to realize that realistically all the things that make us happy are pretty much accessible to each and every one of us I just think we're looking in the wrong places Penny you are amazing so thank you for joining me this morning oh thank you it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> And there you have it. Another episode of Gatehouse Insights draws to an end. Thank you for watching and thank you for sharing this video with your friends. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to the Gatehouse Legal Recruitment YouTube channel where you can see more.